So as I was praying, um, praying for us as a corporate body, um, Holy Spirit said he knows. So I just spent time with Holy Spirit and said, what do you mean, Holy Spirit? And he said, Jesus knows. He knows your disappointments. He knows your pains. He knows this morning. Um, So then began the, well, I would say dialogue, but I did more listening he was the one talking. And I said, well, Holy Spirit, give us an example. Because in the process, he said, he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's, he's, um, he, know, he knows everything. And we don't, um, I don't have a concept of that. But the Holy Spirit was saying he knows everything. And then he said, genosko to me, which I had no, I had never heard that in the Holy Spirit. But no actually means to be aware of through observation, inquiry, or information, and to have a developed relationship with someone through meeting and spending time with them. Um, so he was saying that's what Jesus is with us. But genosco means, um, and there's tons of scriptures, so that's why I'm trying to scroll through. It says to learn to know, come to know, and get a knowledge of, to become known. And then the second um, is to know and understand, to perceive and have knowledge of, so he's saying he understands what is going on. Um, so I want you guys to turn to John 4 with me. Because I said to him, I said, Holy Spirit, um, we need to know from your word what you're saying. Because he said we all have things we don't want anybody else to know. But Jesus knows. We all have things that nobody else understands. But Jesus understands. And this may be elementary to you guys this morning, but the Lord is really breathing upon this. So verse 1 says, Now when the Lord knew, and in my Bible it's the Amplified, it says he learned and became aware. Um, and he does, he's doing that with us so that you guys know, y'all could really put yourself in there, that the Lord knows. He, learned, he has learned and become aware of you personally, each one of us. And then drop down to verse 4. It says, as we all know what this passage says, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. So I want you guys to think about that this morning. It was necessary for you guys to come to the river because he's here. He's with us always. But it was necessary for him to meet you here this morning. And verse 6 says, which I never saw this before, but, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sat down to rest by the well. Wow. Think about that. He sits down to rest with us. And verse um, 14, you know, after what the interaction, she said to him certain things, which we'll talk about in a second. But verse 14 says, but whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never, no never, be thirsty anymore. Are any of you thirsty this morning for a touch of Jesus, touch of the Holy Spirit? Because worship was awesome, but if you weren't touched, then you haven't felt the, the encounter of that living water this morning. But the water that I will give him shall become a spring of water. And Mel started singing that out. 
um, a spring of water welling up, flowing, bubbling continually within him unto into for eternal life. And it was kind of brought out in prayer this morning that like last Sunday was brought out is that we overflow with him, but he has to be with us. We have to be aware of that. So God's word is living and it always acts. So Matthew 10, 26, we'll turn there really quickly because I want you guys to know that he knows. It's just powerful that he's saying that. So verse 26, Matthew chapter 10 says, so have no fear of them for nothing is concealed that will not be revealed or kept secret that will not become known. That's personally in our lives. In verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 in New King James says, But if anyone loves God, then this one is known by him. And that known is recognized as worthy of his intimacy and love, and he is owned by him. So if you say I'm not worthy, that scripture tells you you are. You're absolutely worthy in, to Jesus because he did everything, as we know. He did everything for you. So he doesn't leave us, leave us the same. What blessed me so much um, with the woman at the well, and this is not just for women, by the way. This is for every single one of us, um, that she came just in her normal, ordinary routine. Holy Spirit really wanted to speak that to us. She didn't do anything different that day than she had done for however many days of her life. And, you know, to meet Jesus, we feel like we've got to do some act. We've got to do something to move him. She didn't. She was an absolutely ordinary woman. Actually, she, was absolute, she wasn't even ordinary. She had, she had her, like I was talking about this morning, she um, had all these things. She had a list. She had... She had um, let me read what the what Holy Spirit said. Um, she came out of herself and she focused on the Lord. She had a list of excuses, of disappointments, of failures and concerns. And Holy Spirit saying, what is your list today? As, as Jesus is standing here, and you personally may not have a list, but you have family that need to, to encounter Jesus. So you can, you can have that in your mind. But you cannot find yourself until you find his identity. She did not know who she was when she came to that well, but she found who he was. And at that point, once you find his identity, then you care less about your own. Because at that point, she knew him. So she went forth from there, and it changed everything of who she was. So she no longer was self-aware. But God loves you more than you. He loves you more than you love yourself. And y'all have heard that before, but he wants to encounter you. We think we have to encounter him, like I said, but there's no way we can, can encounter him without him starting it anyway. He was there waiting on her, guys. Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, how many times will we beat ourselves up so he'll come down? She went away as a daughter, like Josh was talking about last Sunday. He will visit us at our worst times, like her, even if we're doing the do's. Till we, get, till we think he's going to come. But what if he was already there when we do that? So he had all her answers in love. She needed so much more than water. And Jesus knows. Jesus knows exactly what you needed this morning. God knows us. Jesus knew everything about this woman. He has such a great desire for a relationship with us. 
And transformation begins not when we hide who we are and what we've done, but when we come in open, honest humility to our Savior, letting him know our every need, loving him with all that we are. He restores. So I want you guys just to close your eyes this morning um, and go with me to that well. Jesus is already sitting there. He's already waiting on us. So he, he, you know, that's the thing. She may have never saw him ever again in her life, but she didn't need to see him again, right? She was so changed and transformed. So he's there. So right now, I just want you to give him your list. You interact with him. She gave him her list. She said, I'd been married five times, and she wasn't even living with the man that she was married to now. So you all have your own list. You have um, what your weaknesses are, your, your um, hopelessness, your whatever it is. I don't have to list it for you. Um, but open up your heart this morning and trust him like you never have before. That's what she did. And she gained everything. While she, it was that divine exchange and that's what Holy Spirit wants us to do this morning is give him that divine exchange. The one that placed the sun, the moon, and the stars is right here, right now, having that divine exchange with you. He's with us every step, every season, but he's never left. That's the other thing he wanted to say is that he never leaves you nor forsakes you, just like Pastor said this morning. So, Father... We breathe you in afresh and anew this morning. Jesus, we drink of your living water. And we say yes. We respond to this word this morning. We say yes. We want that divine exchange with you. Mm. Whether it's the sickness, whether it's exhaustion, whether it's despair, whether it's unworthiness. I'm just calling out what I'm hearing Holy Spirit say. Hmm. Whether it's divorce, because she knew divorce, and you feel like that's holding you back from Jesus' embrace. It is His divine exchange this morning. His love is so strongly here. So Jesus, we just say yes and amen. We receive from you today. We, have, we just thank you for the restoration, the saving power Mm, that we just drop it all at the well. We even throw it in the well. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, for this time where you know that we're, and that, that brings such comfort because he's such love. Thank you, Father, for sharing that with us this morning, for letting that change us as you see us, Father, that you found us worthy to change your whole schedule to change everything, to be there and rest with us at any moment of any day that we can just acknowledge you and that refreshing comes that we need in our present situation. So we thank you, Father, for it. We glorify you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's good. Amen. You know, God is wanting us, he's wanting to bring us, what she talked about was encounter. God is wanting to bring us into encounter with him, where it's not just us doing what we've always done. 
you know, if, if you do what you always done, you get what you always gotten. And uh, we're determined to not just be uh, a place that just does the same thing. So if you don't like what you see, stick around. It'll change. Uh, we're in the process of changing a lot of stuff. Most people have problem with change. We like things to be, and I know I shared this just the other week, we like things to be the way they are so that we know that they're the way they are <laughs> because everything seems to be changing around us. So we like normalcy, we like routine and things like that. But if you look at the life of Jesus, that just wasn't who he was. He wasn't this routine guy who did the same thing all the time. What I love about that passage that she shared is Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. He said, I have to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment. He had an appointment. He said, I have to go through, through Samaria. And, you know, we can be so busy about our day. It, wasn't, it was out of his way. It was, I think one time I looked at it, it was like 14 miles at least, maybe 40. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that and get offended. But there were several miles out of his way to go through Samaria to where he was going. You know, and it reminds me of, of something I read uh, a few years ago. And it was, Bill Johnson was talking about when he goes into a, a store, that he'll purposely go in on the opposite side of the store just so he can walk through, realizing when I walk through here, I'm carrying the presence of the Lord and looking, blessing the business and looking for opportunities to be an encounter for people. But many times our our routine is I got to get in, get out. What's the fastest? Where, if it's Walmart, what door do I need to park at so that I can get in and get out without as, as little uh, interruption as possible? Does that make sense to anybody other than me? Am I the only person? Okay, I'm just checking. We, we're so goal-oriented. We're so destination-driven that we miss the journey. And Jesus said, it wasn't just, hey, I need to take a shortcut. It wasn't a shortcut. It wasn't a bypass. It was Jesus saying, I've got something I need to do, and, and we've got to go this way. To his disciples, it didn't make sense. And the Lord even showed me uh, when I was studying that passage one time that he had to get the disciples out of the way so he could do what he needed to do. Because religiously, they wouldn't have allowed him to talk to that woman. Because she was a Samaritan. The, the Jews believed that Samaritans were dogs. That they didn't even have a soul because they, uh, were, they were part Jew, part Gentile, and they didn't even believe that they had a soul. That's pretty harsh. So they would have hindered him from doing what he wanted to do. So he sent them away to go after natural food. And while they were away, he said, they came back with food. He said, that's all right, I've already eaten. And they're like, what do you mean? He said, I've got food to eat that you don't understand. My, my meat is to do the will of the Father. So why are you saying all that? Because we can come to church, and we can do church like we've always done it. We can get up, we can sing three songs, four songs, some new songs in the middle of all that. We can uh, do our deal, have a little message, have a little prayer time, and we can go home, and we can go in and out, in and out, in and out. And our lives are never the same. And Jesus the whole time is saying, I want to meet with my people, but they won't slow down to see me. I'm passionate for encounter. See, God didn't just send his best so that we could be religious and have church. He, sent, he bankrupted heaven. I mean, he gave the best that heaven had to offer, the Son of God, so that we could have fellowship and relationship with him. But many times we want to be good Christian people, so we want to go to church because that's what good Christian people do. And we go in and we go out and we miss him. 
And he's there the whole time. He's saying, I want you to just slow down. And be, that's, I believe that's the power of corporate worship. It's not that you have to come to, you know, people say, well, I get mine from so-and-so on TV. That's great because you're in a consumer mentality and it's all about you. You could care less about anybody else. Hallelujah. Because we've lost the, the reality and the truth that he said when we, we come together for a purpose because everyone brings something. See, here's what you need to understand. The person beside you, behind you, across from you may be Jesus to you today if you'll just slow down and see him. He may be Jesus to you today if you can just slow down and see him so that you have time to encounter him. Not just do the deal. Not just do your thing, but if you'll slow down so that you can meet with Jesus. That's my passion in my heart. Because I've noticed in my life, he'll meet with us sometimes in peculiar ways. This woman, and, and I'm not to re-preach what I've preached before and what, what Stephanie shared this morning, but this woman was at that well at a particular time when no one else was there for a reason. Because she didn't want to see anyone else. Because not only did she know her sin, everyone else in town knew her sin. Kind of like living in Burlington. Everybody knows you mess. And most people won't let you forget it. Wow, that's a good word, preacher. But Jesus, he knew what was going on with her, but he didn't come to call her into judgment. He came to call her into freedom. That's so good. And he said, I need to go down here at the well when no one's really at the well, at the well at this time of day. But she came, and it was her custom to come at that time so that she wouldn't have to interact with other people. And he said, no, I've got a divine appointment that I have to make. You guys go do your deal because you'll just be in the way. <laughs> That's tautology. Uh, but I really believe that. I really believe that because they were learning and you know what's so awesome about God? He'll work with us while we're learning. That's what's so good about him. He works with us along the journey. It's not, he doesn't say, when you get to this place, you'll be good enough to be used by me. He works with us along the journey, along our, our mistakes and everything like that. He works with us. See, when we are in Christ, we are in him. And when we mess up, we mess up in him. I think I've used this illustration before, but we're in the church, right? We're in the building, correct? That's not a hard, that's not a trick question. We are in the building, correct? Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure everybody was with me. If you weren't, we're going to pray right now for you. No, I'm just kidding. We're in the building. So if I were to, and I've stumbled before up here, and I've seen some of you laugh at me. I have my new shoes on. Sometimes I catch my toe. But if I fell right here, would I fall out of the building or would I fall in the building? I'd fall in the building. And the same thing is true in relationship with Christ. When we are baptized into him, we are saved and born again into him. It doesn't mean that we never make another mistake. But when we fall, we fall in him, not out of him. See, if I fell in here, I would still be in communion with you and fellowship with you. It may not be as comfortable for me because you'd be laughing. But Jesus doesn't laugh at us. But when we fall, when we stumble, when we mess up, I'm not giving us an excuse to do that, but I'm saying the, one that, the, the thing that the enemy steals us from us the most, most with is saying, oh, you messed up. God can't speak to you anymore. But if I am correct, and I am, 
you go to Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking for them. They weren't looking for him. He was looking for them. And they had given away identity. They had given away uh, authority. They had given away possession of the earth to the devil. If God should have been done with anybody, it should have been them. But he wasn't. He went looking for them. And they said what? We hid ourselves because we were naked. And Jesus said what? Who told you you were naked? God gave me a revelation. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the glory of God. They lost the covering of God. They were naked and they were ashamed. And they tried to make things to cover themselves up. The same thing that we do. When we stumble and fall, when we make mistakes, when we sin, we'll try to acquire wealth to cover up our nakedness. We'll try to get uh, a We'll try to accumulate friends to cover up our nakedness instead of just taking our nakedness to him. Because here's the beauty. He was naked on the cross so that we could be unashamed when we're naked before him. Adam and Eve sinned and they lost that glory that covered them, that, that surrounded them. But Jesus, when he came and he hung naked on the cross, he gave back to us that glory to cover us. We are in him. We'll never be apart from him again when we have relationship. When you're born again into Christ, you, you're not out of him when you make a mistake. That's key when it comes to identity. Because our ministry, we've been talking about uh, supernatural ministry, and we, we're moving into talking about outreach. But if, if we are ashamed to go before, he said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. If we're ashamed of that, then we won't go before him. Even when we, you know, here's what the enemy does. When we mess up, the enemy tries to push us away from God, not run to God. And he said, come to me. Come to me. God's desire is when we mess up is to run to him, not run from him. The enemy's lie is you got to run from God. And that's why we'll see people who, who mess up and they make mistakes. The first thing they do is they get out of fellowship. They quit fellowshipping with other believers. Then they get out of church. They quit going to church at all. Why? Because they feel condemned. They don't feel worthy to be in the place among other people because all they can see is themselves. So what happens is instead of seeing Jesus, all we see is us. We get consumed with ourselves, and then we start to believe the lie of the enemy that says you'll never be good enough. Thank God I don't have to be good enough. Jesus was. None of that is a license to sin. Titus tells us the other thing, the exact opposite. He said it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. As we fellowship and understand the grace of God, that this is because of his goodness, not me, and how well I perform, then it compels me. It draws me into that understanding of knowing that I won't live in a way that's contrary to who Jesus is. It draws me in. Luke 12, 32. I can't get away from this passage. He said, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who? Little flock. Now, Rachel could probably speak more on a little flock of sheep than I can because she actually has some. Thank God they didn't have their babies. Don't you have some do about now? One born already because she told me Wednesday I might not be there if my babies are born. Well, Jesus, take care of the babies. <laughs> but sheep need a lot of care. They need a lot of care. They need a lot of, uh, of help. Sheep don't always do the, the best things. And they're, you know, uh, but here's one thing. Sheep know their shepherd. 
You know, I heard the illustration I've shared before of, of a, a, a teacher that I was listening to had gone to Israel, and they were, there were all these Bedouins, these shepherds in this area, and they were watering their sheep. And he said that one shepherd walked away from the other shepherds as they were talking. They were talking, and the sheep were talking. No, I'm just kidding. The sheep were drinking water, right? And this one shepherd walked up the hill away from them and was trying and just let, they said it was a gutlery yell, and said, when he did, his sheep raised their head and went and followed him. And said, then there was another shepherd that walked away and did the same thing. And, they were, and I remember Rachel talking about her dad and a, another guy there at Salome were trying to get her sheep. And they had to move them. I don't remember the whole story. So forgive me if I butcher it. But you won't know I butcher it because you don't have any idea what I'm saying. But anyway, they were trying to, to get the sheep. And they were trying to forced the sheep in, and it didn't work. They were frustrated. Her dad called, and you just got to know Larry. Uh, he's a good friend. <laughs> but he said, these stupid sheep, we can't move them. We can't move them. But you know how Rachel got them? She talked to them and fed them. Is that right? She talked to them and fed them, and they said, man, we'll follow you. And what they took hours trying to do, she did in moments. Because she spoke to the sheep, and she fed the sheep. She didn't beat them. She didn't kick them. She didn't try to force them. She fed them, and she led them. He said, fear not, little flock, little sheep. I'll feed you, and I'll lead you, and I'll give you the kingdom. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, I believe the reason that the church struggles so much with identity is because we will never be outward focused as long as we're inward focused. We won't be concerned about those who are outside when we're more concerned about us. I think it was Monday, my cousin posted on Facebook, and the guy that I work out with, he's, he and Kevin were really good friends. Kevin is a member, my cousin is a member of Faith Force. Uh, <laughs> he's one of those guys that you just, when you look at him, you go, I thank God he knows Jesus. I just thank God he knows Jesus because his shoulders are about this wide. He doesn't have a neck, and he's got a big beard, and he's bald head, and he looks like this when he's happy. <laughs> That's his happy face. And uh, Kevin posted on Facebook. He said, I pray today that I don't have a good day that I'm more concerned about the people who are around me who are dying and go to hell than I am me getting to the end of the day and say, wow, that was a good day. That's not a direct quote, but in the nutshell, what he was saying, not that I want to have everything go wrong today, but what he was saying is, I'm more concerned with the eternity of people around me than me just getting through the day and everything being good, everything being lovely. A lie of the enemy is we just got to make sure everything's good and if everything's good, then life is good. I'm not saying we got to have a bad life to love God. But what I'm saying is when we can look outside of ourselves and say, I can be discomforted so that they can know Jesus, then that should be the passion of our heart. You know, we've, we've prayed for, believed God for, and uh, been hungry, desperate, and all those things for revival. But God's put a faith on the inside of me for revival that I've never had in my life before. And what he's done in that, when he's placed that faith in my heart, and it's just me looking at him and saying, Jesus, you're worthy. What he's done is he's taken fear out. 
Because perfect love casts out fear. Because the number, one, the number one, I think, hindrance to true revival is fear. Because we're afraid of what's going to happen if God really does show up. Because when God shows up, it looks different than what we're used to. I, I know in me, in times when I felt like I saw God moving, I would get afraid and go, oh, what's that going to look like? What are people going to think? I mean, you'll write down, how do you grow a church that's in revival when you look weird and everybody thinks you are? You know what the reality it is that the, the people who think it's weird are the religious ones. It's the same one that Jesus dealt with when he said, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. He said, you're ever learning, but John 5, 39, you're ever learning, but you never come to knowledge of the truth because you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, John 5, 39, but these are they which speak of me. Jesus said, you keep looking at the scriptures wanting to have the, the truth so that you're not deceived. And Jesus said, I am truth and you can't see me. So when true revival comes, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I've got faith for it. I'm hungry for it. And I know that in the past, there's been fear in me. Well, what will it look like when it really shows up? Because I'm telling you, revival, 100% of the time in church history has been messy. And people who were not hungry and thirsty and people who didn't know who they were, were repelled more than they were compelled. And as I've been praying into it and looking into it, and in studying the Azusa revival in particular, because God's put some things in our heart. But as I've been studying that, I was I I come to see that He said, "Don't fear, little children. It's little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." And in that, He said, "I'm going to give it to you. You've just got to receive it. You have to pursue it more than you pursue anything else in life. And it's free, but it costs you something." Amen. It's free, but it costs us because he's asking the only thing that, that we have really to offer him is ourselves. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That God is saying, that's my heart's cry. What I need from you more than anything is a body so that I can manifest myself to the earth that we live in. That's what it needs. But if we don't understand who we are and whose we are, then we won't feel that we have anything to offer. We won't, we won't come to him in intimacy. We'll pull away because of fear and shame. And, and as I was looking at all these things, you know, I was looking at, at Jesus in, uh, when he was baptized in Luke chapter 3, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to uh, talk about it. But Luke chapter 3, you can see Jesus, he's baptized. Verse 22, Jesus was baptized, and he came up uh, out of the water, and the, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And he heard the Father say, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. So what had Jesus done up to this point? Nothing. He, he walked into town. John the Baptist recognized him, said, I need to baptize you. He, he baptized him. When Jesus came up, the dove descended on him. And he said, he said, this is my what? My beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what immediately happens after that? He goes into the wilderness for what? Forty days to be what? Tempted by the enemy. 
What's the first thing that the enemy does? He tempts him with his identity. If you are the son of God. You know what? He misquoted what God had just said. Because God didn't just say, hey, here's, my, here's the son of God. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The, the enemy didn't draw any attention that he was beloved. Ephesians 1 says that we're accepted in the beloved. Are you with me? We're accepted in the beloved. And so he wants us not to forget that we're in the beloved. Just like he did, say, Satan did with Jesus. The first thing he said, if you are the son of God. And he tempted him uh, with identity. He tempted him uh, physically. And he tempted him with authority. All the same ways that we're tempted. He did the same thing. But the first one he did was identity. And the same thing he does with us. Because you know what? I believe this. If he can get us uh, tempted in our identity, the physical thing will come. The authority thing is a null and a void. If you don't understand who you are, then you'll start ministering to be someone instead of ministering from someone. We'll always be busy. We feel like we've always got to learn something or do something so that we can be accepted or approved to God and to others. So we, instead of pursuing relationship with him, we pursue accolades. We pursue knowledge so that we have something to present to someone, so that when we stand in front of somebody, we can quote scriptures instead of displaying a, a, an intimate relationship. You know, it's Valentine's Day. Well, it's the love day. And you know what? On Valentine's Day, you could be as mean as a snake all year long. And on Valentine's Day, you bring one gift. It might be an expensive gift, and you give them chocolates and all this, that does not take the place of the intimacy that's been lacking the rest of the time. And you may look good, and you may feel good, but you're not walking in relationship. You're not walking in intimacy, and you're not receiving everything you can receive, nor giving all that you can give to have the kind of relationship that God wants us to have and that your mate wants to have. See, we celebrate love on this day, and people buy gifts and give things and do special romantic things. Whoop, whoop. I'm not against those things. But Valentine's Day does not make a good marriage. It doesn't make a good marriage. What makes a good marriage is when you get up in the morning and the breath stinks and the hair's jacked up. And you still roll over and kiss them and say, I love you, beautiful. <laughs> Come on, work with me, honey. <laughs> it's the everyday, the things that no one else sees. You know, it's easy to send flowers to work where everybody can see and they go, oh, you're so blessed. And they don't, they don't know that's the only time they, they show love to you. What is, and this is, listen, 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 listen. This isn't a condemning word. I, I want to pull this up. Don't let Sunday be the only time we come and tell Jesus we love him. Don't let Sunday, oh, Lord, you know I've been busy this week. It's been a busy week. You think he don't know? He's with you all the time. And what he's asking is for us to stay in that intimate relationship with him so that we're not just talking about him, we're talking to him. That we're spending time with him. 
I said, I wrote this down. Supernatural ministry must come from identity and intimacy. Anything else will be a work we're trying to produce rather than fruit that comes from being connected to the vine. Supernatural ministry flows from who he is, not what we do. As we understand and learn who we're in covenant with, we will allow his life to flow through us by our response of faith. John 15 says, Abide in me, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Listen to this one. This is good too. Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So what's he saying? Don't be so caught up in you that you can't see anyone else. That's what he's saying. And we call it humility. We say we're not worthy. I say that if, Jesus, if you're in Christ and you're calling him unworthy to say you're not worthy. Marriage is, um, is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your con- you know that, that sexual sin, I believe God holds in high regard because sexual sin, the temple, is the temple of God. It's the one thing that we have to offer him. And when we offer it to someone else in an unholy manner, we offer it to others, and we offer it in a way that's not pleasing to God, we open the door for the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. And it hurts the heart of God because it's the one thing that he's asked of us as an offering and a sacrifice. It's our bodies. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, he said what? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say what? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Huh. He, is, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, What? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Sounds like Romans 8 to me. How about you? What should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What can separate us? Life or death or peril or sword or tribulation, pestilence? No, none of these things can separate me from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. None of these things can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God is calling us into intimacy. Intimacy with Him so that we can be transparent and real with others. As we understand identity in Christ, and see, I say all this because I'm really believing God for revival, not just in our church. I'm not talking about a series of meetings with a guest speaker. Because in our area, in our culture, that's what revival has become. It's a series of meetings with a guest speaker, and hopefully something good will happen out of it, but not really an encounter with God. But what we're believing for is an 
outpouring of his spirit as in biblical portions. Like in the book of Acts, when his spirit was poured out on the church. Why? Why am I so, why is that what I want? Because that's the only hope for this world. It's not good church services. It's not good programs in good churches. It's Holy Spirit who can transform hearts, who can change lives by the power that resurrected Christ from the dead. And it takes people who say, God, here's my body for you to pour yourself through. So I won't say that revival is free. It's not. It costs us something. It costs us our very lives because we say he's worthy. He gave his life for me that I can have life, John 10, 10, and have it more abundantly. But it might not look exactly like what we expected it to look like. You know, yesterday I ran a call with the fire department, and it was, it was a very sad call. A uh, person's son walked into his elderly mother's house and found her deceased. And we were there, and I saw a friend uh, who works for the EMS, and uh, we graduated high school together. And we were talking, and I said, man, you've been at this a little while, hadn't you? He said, yep, i got three more years, and I can retire. So it, he'll retire at like 48 or 49 years with 30 years in EMS service. And I was telling Tina, I said, that's pretty amazing. He's, he'll be 48 or 49 and retire. That's pretty awesome. And since then, I told her, I said, that'd be cool, you know, to be able to retire at 49 years old. Not just quit. <laughs> you can quit at any age. But to retire with benefits and all that, you know, to have been that focused that he came out, did what he knew he wanted to do, and stuck with it. There's something to be said. But as I've meditated on that, the Lord said, and then what would you do, Todd, if you retired? Because then your attention would just be on you. Not on what you could do for me, but what you can do just to do. Now, I'm not against people who retire. Don't, don't get in a ditch. I'm not against this friend that's going to be able to retire. I think it's awesome. My hope is that he would take that and go, man, now I have, I'm not bound by this. I can go do more. Not do it for the sake of doing it, but for the reality that we get to. But I feel the Lord has been showing me, and I'm just letting you in my world, that it's so easy to get distracted and be afraid of what God's really wanting to do in our lives because um, when he's calling us into intimacy, when he's calling us into relationship so that revival can come, yes, it costs us something, but it's not an empty uh, offering that makes sense. What we gain is greater than anything we can give away. And in our lives, anything we gain from giving our lives to him is going to be better than what we had before. You know why? Because our attention is not on what we had, but it's on who we have. So I'm excited. Can you see it? I'm excited. I don't have a uh, a full understanding of what all it looks like, but I'm so hungry for something I've never had before that nothing else will satisfy. I've been in church a long, long time. I've been pursuing the Lord for many years, but He's calling me into a deeper pursuit, a deeper intimacy with Him. And you know what that takes? It takes time. I had an opportunity uh, this past week to speak to uh, FCA at Woodlawn, uh, Woodlawn Middle School. 
It's funny, when they contacted me and asked me if I'd speak, they said somebody had given me my name. Would I come speak? And I said, sure, I'd be interested in speaking. My lightning fast mind, I equate, I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to tell you that before you chuckles. I equated Woodlawn with Western, and Woodlawn's Eastern. So she said, well, it starts at 7.30. And I said, yeah, I'll come speak. Then I was like, Woodlawn? Woodlawn, that's Eastern. That's Mav- Whoa. That means I'm leaving the house about 6.30, 6.40 to get there before the students get there to come in. I'll, yeah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but I spoke to these young people, and I talked to them about, uh, about dreams. I said, what are, you, what are you dreaming about your destiny? And I said, two things. Don't let anyone rob you of your dream. And the second thing I said is this. What are you doing? to walk towards your dream. Because we can all dream. We can all dream, but what are we doing to make practical steps to walk out what we feel like God's saying for us to do? You've got to be intentional. And, and I, I was blessed that there was 30-some kids at 7.30 in the morning that came. It was over 30 kids, and I was like, God, that I pray that what you say has an impact on in just a few of these kids because I believe that just a few of them could radically change their school, could radically change the world that they live in. You know what? I believe the same thing about us, that we can radically change this area, this culture, for the honor of God, for the glory of God, as we say yes to Him, as we say, God, what you have for us is more important than what it costs us. And I don't want to major on cost because he, he, didn't, he didn't withheld anything in what he gave for us. And he said, if he held back, who didn't hold back his only son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? He goes on to say, anyone who's given houses and lands and all this, that God will give a hundredfold in this lifetime and in the world to come. So if you get hung up on what's it going to cost me, what's it going to cost me, man, God's saying it's going to cost. Todd keeps saying it's going to cost. God has said this, there's nothing you can give that I can't give more. And not just in quantity, but in quality. And that's what he's asking. You know, just like I told those young people, I said, anybody in here understand relationship? Anybody here have friends? And they all raised their hand, they had friends. I said, if you have a friend, do you speak to that friend one time and then a year later speak to him again and then you call him your best good friend? No. How do you have a close friend? What does a close friend mean to you? Even in the natural, who is a close friend? What does that look like? What does a close friend look like in the natural? How, what, how does that relationship defined? It's, it's, it's defined first and foremost by communication. Not by monologue, but by dialogue. If you've got a good friend, you don't have somebody you talk to all the time and all they do is listening. That's not a good friend. A good friend is not going to just listen. They're going to talk back. Amen. You're not in relationship if you're doing all the talking. You have someone who will listen to you, but you're not in relationship. And the same is true with God. God is saying, I want, you to, I want to spend time with you. Does he want us to know his word? Absolutely. That's not a might or a maybe. He absolutely wants us to know his word. But his word should bring us into encounter, not information. 
when we see it, we ought to say, man, that's who you are. God, I want to encounter that in a personal way, and I want to be an encounter for others now that I know who you really are. Does that make sense? God, I understand your love, so I want, I want someone else to understand your love. You know how we do that? We do it in practical ways. And I believe that the result of that is people understanding who God is, who they are in him, and understanding the covenant that we have. This is the thing the Lord spoke to me, and I'm closing. The, one of the things he spoke to me this week is he said, I've got you. If you're in covenant with me, I got you. Because covenant is all about, uh, I shared this the other week, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a soldier and Luis is a farmer and we're in covenant, Luis is going to make sure I have food and I'm going to make sure he's protected. But I'm, in, I'm in covenant with better than a soldier. I'm in covenant with the God of heaven. I'm in covenant with the creator and sustainer of life. And he says, I've got you. So there might be times he says, I've got you, and I want you to step out on something that's bigger than you. And you may not have all the answers yet, but I'm asking you, just like I asked Abraham, go and I'm going to show you a land. But you've got to go. Many times we'll be reserved and say, God, I'll go if you tell me where we're going and how to get there. And God says, no, part of it is a journey of trust to where you say yes, and I say let's go. And you get to know me. See, that's the heart of God. Let's stand. The heart of God is this, is that you would know his heart, that you know his heart, because when we know his heart, we minister from that place toward others. We'll minister that place to him and to, to those around us. Does that make sense? See, then we'll be able to see Jesus in others, not just what we need from them, but how we can share his love for them right where they are. <clears throat> he said, don't forget to entertain strangers. Think about that. He said, don't forget to entertain strangers because some, some have and they've entertained angels and didn't even know it. So he's telling us, slow down to see and to see with his eyes and hear with his heart, his ears, and, and to, to minister with his heart. And as we do, we'll see transformation. I'm telling you, when, when, as we begin to live from him, not for him in a workspace thing. We begin to live from him. We'll have the sweetest fellowship with him we've ever had and with others we've ever had. Because when I meet with you, I'm not meeting with you to get from you. I will receive, but I'm meeting because I'm so full. I know that there's something I have that, can, that I can give. We were in prayer, and Mark Schrader, our bass player up here that was tickling the bass, he said, man, my heart is this. God's done such a work in my heart. My heart is this, that I would be so full that when I come in contact with those around me that have need, that I can minister to them out of the life that's in me so they can be impacted around me. Amen? Jesus, we love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity today to pursue you.